You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. The clergy staff have been sharing our call stories. So far, each of us has found similarities to a person in the Bible whose call resonates with us. Reverend Christie's call, however, is inspired by the Book of Lamentations rather than a single person's call to ministry. The Book of Lamentations expresses the humiliation, suffering, and despair of Jerusalem and its people following destruction of the city by the Babylonians in 587 BCE. Traditionally, the writings were, are attributed to the prophet Jeremiah. Lamentations was likely written for public rituals in remembrance of the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the temple. Lamentations is notable both for its starkness of imagery of the devastated city and for its poetic artistry. The book contains five poems. The book of Lamentations deals with suffering, more specifically, the suffering of the Hebrew people. Amid unthinkable tragedy, Jeremiah describes his agony in the face of this suffering. Despite the heartbreak and agony, this book still contains an incredible message of hope. And that's where the meaning of Lamentations shines through. Some translations talk about God's steadfast love. Steadfast means fixed or immovable. In other words, Nothing we have faced or will face can possibly remove us from God's love. Everything that follows is because of God's love for us. And it's important that we keep this at the forefront of our minds. The rest of the meaning of Lamentations 3, 22 through 23, ties to this first truth. The word that is translated as fail or sometimes end is the Hebrew word kala. It means complete, be finished, be accomplished, or come to an end. This word carries with it a finality. But in the meaning of Lamentations 22 and 23, there's never a front to it. In other words, God's mercy towards you will never finish, be concluded, or come to an end. It will never fail. This scripture passage is a stark reminder that amid suffering, death, and destruction, God's grace and mercy is always there. Never ending in every situation or bad moment, God is with us. Hear this scripture. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to the end, and are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jeremy. Let's pray together. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O 
O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've been called a lot of names in my lifetime. I've been called Christy. When I'm in trouble, I was called Christina. I was called weirdo and a lot of other negative things as well because I was a little odd as a child. Truth be told, I'm still a little odd as an adult, but through that process of learning who I am, I learned that there are people in my life that help me and help with the healing process, and then sometimes there are people that aren't so helpful and are actually hurtful. Well, the start of my story kind of goes back a few decades. It starts as an 11-year-old child. In my denomination, we had these big Sunday evening worship services, and there was always testimony time during worship. I sat there through most of the worship service, feeling this really strong sense that God wanted me to stand and speak. But I was also the personality that didn't want to draw any more attention to myself than necessary, because I didn't need any more of those negative names, right? But finally, when I thought I couldn't take it anymore, I stood up at the end of testimony time in all of my 11-year-old glory and said, I think God is calling me to be in full-time ministry. And then I sat back down. (laughs) My blessing was the fact that my church took me seriously. I had people in that congregation who taught me how to be a minister. They gave me leadership that I wasn't probably really ready for. They gave me opportunities to hone my skills and to learn what it means to work in a church. So I was ready, when I went off to college, I was ready to go be the religion major. And then as I started filling out all my paperwork, I discovered there weren't a lot of scholarships in religion or theology. It was going to be a little difficult if I wanted to do that as a major. So I fell back on the other thing that I did fairly well, and I was a music major. And I sang my way through college in a variety of groups. And the last couple of groups that I was in were traveling groups. And throughout the course of my college career, we got to do a lot of wonderful concerts, including one up in Toronto in a big auditorium with 3,000 screaming teenagers. And I thought, this is it. I mean, God, I know you told me I was going into full-time ministry, but like traveling and being a singer is full-time ministry, right? Well, yes, it can be, but it wasn't the ministry that I really needed to be in in that moment. But as I was contemplating life, I remembered that my college advisor had said, there's a job for you after you graduate if you want it as a children's minister. And I said, well, thank you for that kind opportunity. But I also knew that I had just received a letter from um, a music studio in Nashville who also offered me a job opportunity. And so I was struggling, right? Do I want to be this person on the stage or do I want to go into ministry and work with children? I couldn't figure it out. But finally, as it seems to do sometimes, my anxiety took over 
And the thought of moving to Nashville all by myself without my family and my friends and starting all over and being in this industry that's extremely cutthroat, I couldn't do it. So I politely declined and I took the job that was in my home state working with children. So I have a job, right? So what's the next level up if I'm not married and I'm early, in my early 20s, I'm gonna run to go to grad school. And so I did. And so I graduated with my undergraduate in Christian education and vocal performance. But then I went back and got another degree in Wesleyan theology and psychology. And I thought, I'm ready, let's start on ordination. So I got about a year into the ordination process. And that's when I discovered that the area I lived in, in the buckle of the Bible Belt, and the denomination I was serving in, were not very keen on having women in the pulpit. And when I hit roadblock after roadblock after roadblock, I finally threw my hands up and said, fine, I just won't do this anymore. And in typical 20-year-old bravado, I went to get a whole nother job. I went out and decided I was going to be a social worker. And I did that for a while. And that kind of started my journey, my long journey of finding my place. Got married in there somewhere. Then I picked up a job as a professor, because what else are you going to do with degrees in psychology and theology? And so I picked up a job as a professor, then I went and worked as a nurse's aide in a hospice community, and then I did some other things as a preschool teacher. Well, you get the idea. I was going from job to job, from vocation to vocation, and generally none of them made any sense when you looked at them in the line. Well, okay, so I finally thought, well, just whatever I'm going to do in this moment, that's my ministry. God, you've got to be happy with this. This is all I can do. But I had that feeling that, that that wasn't all I could do, that that really wasn't the end of my call. So my husband at the time and I, we left the, meth the, the church that we were in and went to a Methodist church. Because did you know that Methodists pay their, their musicians a lot more than any other denomination? <laughs> So, I mean, it was a Wesleyan faith, so I felt comfortable changing denominations, even though I had been part of this denomination since literally two days of life. And so I went with my husband at the time, and we, we were minister partners, and we did these things in churches, and I was very fortunate to land up here in Midland, Michigan, when he got a full-time job at Midland First. And I was also very blessed that the lead pastor at that time was a man named Brent McCummins. And when he met me, he said, you'd make a good minister. Then through the course of our lives there in Midland, we had another child and I was busy being mom and doing other things. And Brent periodically would pull me aside on Sunday mornings and go, when you're ready to be a minister, let me know. And then he would sneakily invite me out to lunch with all these other uh, female ministers so I could get to know them and kind of get a, an idea of what it would be like for me to go into ministry. And so after his persistence, 
which if you don't know much about ministers, I'm sure you've known a few, they're fairly persistent people. So after his persistence, I finally started thinking about it. And then thinking turned into talking about it, and then talking about it turned into filling out paperwork (laughs) and uh, being really nervous when I dropped it in the mailbox. Well, Brent did everything in his power to make sure that I got back to seminary and I got started on my path to ordination again. It was during this time um, that I discovered, well, I didn't really discover, my husband and I talked about the fact that we were done living as we were. You see, my husband came out of the closet about five years into our marriage, and so we had been play-acting a couple for 10 years. And to live our truth, we knew we had to stop pretending and get real with ourselves and figure out how this is going to work. Well, the problem is, I was in the path for ordination. And the churches that I grew up in were the kind of churches that if you stepped out of line, if you had life happen to you, in a way that caused you to do something that they didn't approve of, they would take you to task. Now, that is one way of doing church, but I discovered through my journey that there was a different way of doing church. And part of the way I discovered that was when I called the chair of the Board of Ordained Ministry. You might know her. Laura Spearin was the chair of Board of Ordained Ministry at the time. And when I talked to her, at the end of the conversation, she said, well, Christy, I'll be praying for you. I'm really sorry this, you're going through all of this, but I don't see why there's a problem with your ordination. And I said, oh, they're not going to let me be ordained when I'm going through the middle of a divorce. And she was like, why wouldn't we? You're called by God not to be married, but to be a minister. So as I struggled and continued to talk to people, I felt like this was the path I still needed to be on. And also, one interesting thing that kind of kept me on the path, and I didn't share this with First Service, but right after I filled out the paperwork and got, a, got an appointment to meet with the board for the district, I called my dad, and I told him in my excitement that I'm finally going back into the ministry. And my dad cried, and we talked for hours about how excited he was that I was living out this call. Sorry. The next day, I got a call. My dad had died, or was on the verge of death, and I had to get to Oklahoma immediately. So as I rushed down, and my dad was in a coma for most of the time uh, before he passed, I would talk to him about the fact that, Daddy, I will do this, I promise. I'm going to do this. And so there were times when I was juggling having a two-year-old and going to seminary and trying to take online classes and having a a six-year-old who was in special needs classrooms. My life was, like, chaotic. But during those times, I remembered two things. One, that my dad was cheering me on. And two, that God's mercies are new every morning. During my journey, I fell in love with the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is not a book most people fall in love with. It's a book full of violence and some gore and some destruction. You know, not the book you usually preach on, right? 
But in the middle of that passage of doom and destruction, there's this message of hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. God's compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. So, I was ordained. My ex-husband stood there proudly with me because he told people I helped do that. And he was very proud of the path I was on. And that's when I kind of started thinking about the fact that a lot of people in my life have been those encouragers to me. I had experienced some harmful things in the church. I had experienced lies and gossip and people who thought I was too young to do my job and so they made up things about me to get me out of that position. But I've also experienced a church that took an 11-year-old seriously and encouraged her to be a leader. I also experienced churches and schools and professors that told me I could do it and I have to keep going. My parents raised me in the faith, so I was very familiar with church. And they also were encouragers along the way. And then I was in congregations that when we were in the middle of a divorce and having to talk to like 200 people trying to tell them about it separately and nobody ever gossiped about us, all they said was, we're praying for you, we love you, and we wish you all the best. I experienced those people in my life. And to be honest, I wouldn't be standing up here telling you my call story if I hadn't had those people, those Sunday school teachers, those helpers, those people who cheered me along the way. Because really my journey, if you're going to pick a Bible story, my journey is kind of more like the Israelites in the desert wandering for 40 years because I just couldn't figure out which way I should go. So how did I get here, you ask? Well, maybe you didn't, but I'll tell you. I was working at another church, a wonderful church, and I just happened to have the uh, job announcement pop up in my Facebook uh, you know, feed. And I was like, oh, Facebook, come on, I'm already employed, I don't need to look at jobs. But for some reason, well, the Holy Spirit, I stopped and I read it. And I just knew in my heart of hearts that that was my job. So I called, or I messaged my friend on Facebook, Reverend Amy Moyle, and I said, hey, friend, is there any chance this might be a position that you, I would fit into? And I think within 30, 45 seconds, I had a phone call from Amy saying, yes, and when can we interview you? <laughs> and I vividly remember sitting on the camp porch at Lake Louise, talking to you and texting to you as I prepared for that interview. Because even though it felt chaotic in that moment, I knew it was gonna all work out. Would it have worked out if I didn't get the job? Absolutely. I would have just served somewhere else. But what happened was, I came to this wonderful congregation. And even in the two years I've been here, you have taught me so much about what it means to be a community of faith. 
of what it means to live out faith in a way that's healing and not harmful. I've experienced the harmful side of faith. And through my process of being here at Clarkson United Methodist Church, another avenue opened up for me to start working in trauma-informed ministry and help people understand that there is healing even when the church hurt you and that God is God. And sometimes we as humans get it wrong. So I just want to wrap everything up to remind each and every one of us that no matter what our journey looks like, no matter how many highs or how many lows we go through in life, God's faithfulness, God's grace and mercy never fail us. Every morning in the middle of the divorce when I felt like things were just never going to work out, I remembered that God was with me. God's grace was with me in those moments. And then I get the privilege of telling that to children. So if you know me, you know I had to bring a book. This is one of my favorite authors, Matthew Paul Turner, and the book is called When God Made You. Now, I'm not going to read the whole book for copyright reasons, but it's worth a read. Um, But the, the gist of the book says, you, you, when God thinks of you, God was even thinking of you long before your debut. I'm going to read us a few pages. You being you, whether you're called names that are negative or positive, whether you feel like you never fit in, whether you feel like you've always had success or you've always had failures, you being you is God's dream coming true. Because when God made you, all of heaven was beaming. Over you, God was smiling and already dreaming. Isn't that a wonderful thought? God smiles and dreams about all of our potential, all of the things that we're doing, and all of the things that we're going to do in the future. I am so thankful for a God whose mercies never fail, who every morning, even if I don't want to get out of bed, I know God's grace is there with me in every moment and every minute of every day. And for that, I give thanks to God. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.